I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Colossians. The title of the message this morning is simply the introduction to the book of Colossians. I've been tossing this around for a while and uh, decided to preach through this book. Talking to Dale Weaver on Friday evening, and and I mentioned that, and he said, oh, Matt goes preaching through Colossians, so... If Matt comes down, you might hear some Colossians as well. Introduction to the book of Colossians. So Paul wrote this letter to the Colossian church for two reasons. First reason, he was was warning them about embracing false teaching. Uh, If you think about the many letters that Paul wrote to the churches, over and over you're going to hear that he's writing to combat false teaching. And here again, number one, to combat false teaching. And number two, to remind them that the believers at the church had everything that they needed in Christ Jesus to become spiritually mature. So if you can picture a church there, and as I'll repeat shortly, they had started strong. They, they, they were doing well. So they recognized the fact that what they needed was in Christ Jesus, but then, as we're going to look at, the air started seeping in, and they started losing their way. And Paul wrote this letter to work at that. If I can have a theme for the study, for the, uh, through this book of Colossians, it would be simply complete in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are complete in Christ. Everything that we need today is still available through Jesus Christ. Have we become sidetracked? Allow me to say, everything that we need is not on Google or Amazon. So many times we need something, that's where we head. And I don't have a problem with that. I'm just saying for our spiritual lives, what you need and what I need is available through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is all we need. He is the answer to the problems our world is facing today, and he holds the keys to eternal life. Are we focusing on Christ? Do we feel feel complete in Christ? So Colossians, along with the letter to Ephesians, Philemon, and Philippians, they're known as the prison epistles. Paul wrote these while he was serving time in prison. Colossians exalts the person of Jesus Christ. It looks at the, at the roots of uh, the modern false philosophies and it gives practical instruction for Christians living at home, at school, and at work. And I'm, I'm sure you caught that, but just, just to remind us, the Christian life, and again, we're going to see this here shortly later on, the Christian life is not something that we do Sunday mornings and or Wednesday nights and so on and so forth. It's something that's 24-7. And, and Paul is encouraging us as we go through that. As your, your walk of life, are you living differently on Sunday, differently from a Friday? Or are we focusing on Christ each and every day of our life? Colossae was a town located about 100 miles east of Ephesus. Uh, which is today is located in southwestern Turkey. And if you uh, look at some maps, you'll see Colossae was in the, the general area of the seven churches mentioned in Revelation 3. 
where we see I have somewhat against thee, and I to the church at so-and-so, and all, all seven of those. And the closest church of those seven located to, to the Colossae was the lukewarm church of Laodicea. Uh, according to some study that I've done today, the site of Colossae is uninhabited, although some of the ruins of the town can be, still be seen. Back in the day when this was written, the area was a fertile land with plenty of grass for the flocks, and it was also known to be the clothing and dye centers, centers of the world. So a, a big area back when Paul was writing this. It was located along an important trade route. So if you can picture, uh, as a result of that, all kinds of philosophies were brought into the area and they became mingled together. Try to imagine a, a small town where people were exchanging their wares and everyone from the, the known area would, would come to exchange their stuff and bring in with them their views. What about their attitudes, their ideas, their values, their beliefs, and their thinking? And you combine all that, and it, the answer for that is nothing but a little bit of confusion, and that is why we have the letter that we have today. It has been said that strange ideas were coming in from as far as the Far East. Also, the Greek culture continued to penetrate the region. And because of all the amount of people coming and going, what we have here was a town which was, had a fertile ground for heresies and various speculations. And again, the reason Paul was writing. A lot of people moving in and moving through the, this town and bringing with them their thoughts and their ideas. And in the midst of that, some false teaching had rose up. On his second missionary journey, Paul established the Ephesian church. And it was during that time where he uh, developed a special concern for the church here at Colossae, although at that point he had never visited this church. So the group of believers uh, that this church was writing about met in, uh, in one of the Christians' homes. If you're open to, to uh, Colossians, we're going to flip back and through a couple verses here just to get a good introduction. But if you go back in verse chapter 4 and verse 15, you'll see he's writing to Salute to brethren which are in Laodicea and Nephis, and the church was, which was in his house. So this was a home church. The leader or founder of the church was a man named Epaphras, as we see in chapter 1, verse 7. As you also have learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is for you a faithful minister in Christ. So church, and there we have church meeting in people's homes, and also here we have the leader. And at some point, this leader went to prison to talk to Paul, told him about the progress that the church was having, as well as the heirs that were beginning to creep in to the church. And this is where Paul gets his information for why he is writing uh, this letter. So if you could picture Paul there in prison, wishing he could go and speak to the people here, but could not. So in, in Instead, he writes the letter which we can benefit from today. So as I said earlier, the church had begun well and was headed in the correct direction, but some heirs were gradually being accepted. And this is the reason for concern that this leader shared, and Paul wrote this letter to refute those teachings. So let's look briefly at a, a few of these warning signs or the red lights that Paul was writing about. Again, we'll flip through a couple 
verses here, chapter 2, verse 4. And this I say, again, his reason for writing, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Paul knew what was happening, and he was writing to help them see uh, their, the air there. You're in chapter 2, look at verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Again, Ephesus must have been very thorough in telling Paul what was seeping into the church. How about chapter 2, verses 18? Let no man beguile you. And here we see the worshiping of angels. What about chapter 3, verses 5 and through 9 there? Here we see we're to cast off sin and put on and put out off the old man. Just warning after warning. Church, you've begun well. Church, you need to be careful. This is what is seeping in. And sometimes this can seep in unaware. And Paul was reminding them that what they need to watch out for. And he gives clear direction for us to be complete in Christ. He goes on and very clearly says, brothers and sisters, this is the list of things you need to put off. And here's the list of things you need to put on so they can become what? Complete in Christ. And we could stop and say, Paul, why the warning? And then we could argue a little bit and say, you know, Paul, you should have relaxed just a little bit. And these people are going to learn from their, their ways. Why all the warning? But Paul was aware that false teaching will lead to spiritual decline. And that happened way back in the day there and happens today as well. As even today, we cannot dwell upon the very thought of incorrect theology and at the same time grow spiritually in Christ. So there's uh, 163 minds here this morning. And if we're dwelling on the thought of incorrect theology at the same time, brothers and sisters, we're not growing in a spiritual walk with the Lord. Was it important to combat false theology back in the days of when Paul was writing? Yes. Is it important today to be aware of what's seeping into our, what could seep into our church? And I think the answer is yes as well. Paul was aware of the damaging effects that false teaching will have on spiritual maturity. So what did he do? He penned 95 verses, which we'll look at here this morning, to help the believers to, back in his day and us this morning grow how? Complete in Christ. Are we feeling complete in Christ? Now, just pause for a moment and think about the subject of warning. And I asked the question, how would you feel, or no, I'm sorry, think about the, getting ahead of myself, about the subject of warning. A few questions. Why do we warn our children against the dangers of a hot stove or a hot, hot cup of coffee sitting on the edge of the, of the counter? Why, do, why are we concerned when the little child comes up and reaches for that hot cup of coffee? We know why. My nephew, it happened, his daughter put a hot cup of coffee on herself. Why don't we allow our children to run around the house playing with sharp knives? We're thinking a little bit about warning here. Why don't we give our children matches to play with? Why do we put training wheels in our bicycles for the children learning to ride? Why do some children wear helmets when while riding their bicycles? Why did you put your seatbelt on this morning when you jumped in your car to drive to church? You only drove 15, 20 minutes. 
be some a little bit further. Why does our nation have posted speed limit signs? Why do we put fences up around the cattle? Many times if you touch them, you'll get a shock. Why? I think everything we've looked at so far is for our safety and our protection. You know, the, hot, the run around the house with, with the sharp knife, it sounds so stupid, yes. But why do we say we, our children cannot do that? We're protecting them from harm. Do we, see, do we need warning signs as we go through life? And yes, I think we do. We have signs on the roads that warn us when there's a turn coming up. We need to slow down. We have signs that warn us when there's upcoming road construction. Slow down, protect the workers who are working along the road. Most of the saws that carpenters use have guards and shields. And they're there for what? Their protection. A number of years ago, my wife, uh, we, I got a table saw. And I said, you know, and you guys, you ever use table saws? A table saw with a guard, you're definitely slightly handicapped. And I said, I don't think I'm going to put this guard on because it's so much nicer to use a table saw without a guard. And she encouraged me to put it on. And to this day, it is on. Why? A blade spinning. We need to be so, so careful. Guns have safeties. And the list could go on and on. And think about our children's safety. We generally don't wrap them in bubble wrap, although sometimes we wish we could. But consider all the emphasis, all the emphasis we put on physical safety. And then compare that to what we do, uh, how concerned we are about our spiritual protection. Not that we become complacent as we go through life, but we need to be so careful. So speaking of our spiritual protection, we, we have the ever-presence of the Holy Spirit. What does that do? Provides direction and constant prompting for our, for our conscience. We have the Word of God, the letters that were written, like Paul wrote here, inspired by God. Why? To help us, to keep us on the straight and narrow way that does what? That leads to everlasting life. Letters will help us make wise choices. Also, if we're going through, on journeying through life and we see a by road on our spiritual journey or a yield sign, we need to know which direction to take. Did you ever find yourself humming the words, yield not to temptation for yielding is sin? Each victory will help you, some other to win. Fight manfully onward and say, look ever to Jesus, he will carry you through. A yield sign in your spiritual journey. And you come to that like, oh, if you see that on the road, you can make a choice. I'm either going to go left or right, or I'm going to yield to the traffic that's coming. What about in our spiritual journey? You can call these signs warning signs or reminders, but I believe we need constant reminders or signs in the land where we face many distractions. Many distractions. We learned about a little bit in our Sunday school lesson, a good lesson. We need to be careful as distractions come our way. And set lines, point lines. We will not cross. We will keep ourselves pure in the eyes of God. But the, the warning signs are there to prevent us, prevent harm to our physical bodies as well as to our spiritual lives and to help us become more complete in Christ. Brothers and sisters, that's where we're at. Are we becoming more and more complete in Christ? I got ahead of myself a little bit earlier, but what would be your reaction if you would hear false teaching coming across the pulpit or the podium here at Myerstown? Would you sit back and just relax and not say anything? What if, what if, I repeat, uh, we didn't believe in a 68 creation? What if 
we said, hey, that flood that Drew talked about last Sunday, that was just a local event. That he pointed out so well. Thank you, Drew. He pointed out so well that it was obviously worldwide. But what if we said, ah, started, uh, somebody started saying it's a six-day, that's a local event. What if we went to the point and taught there's no literal hell? What would you do? Would you come to the person that, after church and say, time out, that's, the Bible teaches over and over and over again. In hell, the rich man lifted up his eyes. We heard about that in our revival meetings. But what if we taught that? We're thinking, we're looking a little bit at false teaching. What if we said you could earn your salvation by good works? All of what I'm mentioning here would be removing parts of God's word. We'd have to go in and take out, rip out pages after page after page in order to, uh, to say that. What if we told you that Jesus is never going to return? The scoffers, the Bible tells us the scoffers are going to say that. What if, uh, or if we taught you, you know, God loves us too much to punish us for sin. Again, all false teaching, all false theology. And the teaching about God loves us too much to punish us would be, uh, would be to promote easy living. But it's not the truth. We've got to be so careful on false teaching. No, we don't sit in Sunday school classes to critique the teacher. We're here to learn. But we also have a one or ear open all the time for incorrect and for false theology. And maybe time, most times this incorrect theology comes, creeps into our churches at a slow pace. But we need to be so careful, which is why it's so important that we know what we believe, that we're well-versed in Bible knowledge. We're quickly able to distinguish right from wrong and able to stay rooted and grounded in the truth of God's word. Brothers and sisters, we need to be complete in Christ, knowing what, the, what God wants us to do. Back again, a little more uh, introduction here in in the Colossians, Colossians is a very familiar book, many favorite verses and often verses that are, are, are quoted from time to time. Let's look at a few. Uh, Colossians 1.10, that you might, here we have it, walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being what? Fruitful in where? Every good work. It doesn't stop there. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Still in chapter 1, verse 23. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard. Encouraging verses for us. Continue in the faith. Chapter 2, verse 6. As ye have therefore received Jesus Christ the Lord, what's our response? So walk ye in him. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Can you see the excitement that we're going to get into as we study through this book? Paul has given us clear direction. Brothers and sisters, <clears throat> here's some warning signs we need to watch. And here's what your life is going to look like if you follow Christ and become complete in Him. Chapter 3, verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, like I said, familiar verses, what's our response? Seek those things which are where above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. Chapter 3, verse 10. As ye have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of God that created him, have we put on that new man. Chapter 3, verse 14. And above all these things, put on what? Love. Put on charity, which is the bonds. Here we have it. Some uh, children. Here's a familiar verse, which you hear quite often. Chapter 3, verse 20. 
Children, obey your parents in the Lord. He tells children, tells us why. For this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. A verse we, go, we think about a lot. Chapter 3, verse 23. And whatsoever you do, do it how? Heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom towards them who are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech all be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may have to know that you may know how to you ought to answer every man. And more and more words of wisdom and instruction as we journey through life. There's a quote from John Stewart on uh, from his book on Colossians, and I read this a couple times, and I I put it in my notes because I he makes he makes a point quite clear. John Stewart, I quote, if you are a casual Christian, one that sees your relationship with Christ as primarily a Sunday morning event, you should think twice about studying Colossians. Which is why I said I read it a couple times. What Paul is writing here is so alive and just gives us such clear direction. And I run over a number of verses of how we are to respond as Christians. If you're a casual Christian, one that I repeat, one that sees your relationship with Christ as primarily a Sunday morning event, you should think twice about studying Colossians. He continues, Colossians will challenge your concept of casual Christianity and destroy the air of seeing life as, par as partly spiritual, which is be going to work, reading the Bible, and partly secular, work, finances, and so on. Secular would be earthly and material things. In fact, if you study Colossians, you will learn that there is no such thing as a secular life or a secular job for a Christian. Which I, why I said earlier, I'm not quite finished with the quote, but why I said earlier that 24-7, there's no such thing as I'm a Christian on Sunday and Monday, then Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm not back Thursday and back and forth. There's no such thing as a secular life or a secular job for a Christian. On the, on the other hand, if you really want to grow as a Christian, Colossians will teach you why and how to give your life to Christ. Colossians is the book that will strengthen your resolve to live wholeheartedly for Christ, and it will show you how to do so in the details of life. Casual or worldly Christians are terms that identify too many within the professing Christian community. Then I repeat, I'm, studying, I'm reading you a quote from John Stewart. Those who study Colossians will be forced to decide whether to yield to Christ's authority over all their lives or face the reality that their own spiritual, of their own spiritual rebellion and its consequences. All aspects of life, including marriage and family life, are to come under the authority of Christ. And the last sentence in, the, in his quote, this is the message of Colossians, a life that is fully integrated into Christ. And maybe, allow me, end quote, allow me to add, I, I love that. A life that is fully integrated into Christ. Church, are you fully integrated into Christ? Church, are you complete in Christ? Casual Christian or committed Christian? Are you a casual Christian or are you a committed Christian? Sometimes we sing the song, where will you be a million years from now? Can I ask you a question? 
myself included. Morning, Jared. Jared, where will you be three years from now? Not just Jared, each one of us. Where will you be three years from now? 36 months, 1,095 days, where will you be? Now, I'm not talking about those who, 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 be, who are going to pass on from this life. I'm not going to go into a lot of details of why I asked that question. I have a burden on my heart. Where will you be three years from now? What's the burden? What direction are you headed? The Bible says what's important, it's, it's, not the, <clears throat> it's not where you are at. I'm sorry, it's not the Bible. It's a quitter heard. It's not where you are at, but it's a direction that you are headed. Where are you at with Christ in your spiritual life? Are you growing? Let's move on. He said uh, integrated has the thought of being combined, united, joined, and unified. In this case, it's, it's united or joined with Christ. And I love it. Are we united and joined together as with Christ? Remember, 163 people have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. Well, all the Christians have the Holy Spirit dwelling within. Are we united with Christ? Are we growing together with him? Are we careful not to let the distractions of this world cause us to fall away and apostatize? Where are we at? Remember the theme, complete in Christ. So I'm not implying that we're casual Christians. That's not where I'm headed. But please consider the question, what would happen if everyone at Marystown gave their entire lives to Jesus Christ? And you say, why are you asking, uh, asking that question? What extraordinary things would God do in and through our church? And you still might be asking why you answer, why ask that question. I got a quote. Evangelist uh, Dwight Moody, 1837 to 1899, once said, the world has yet to see what God will do through a man who was completely surrendered to him, end quote. The world has yet to see what God will do through a man who was completely surrendered to him. So Moody died 123 years ago, 1899. What would, what would he say the same thing today if he were here today? Or maybe you are that man or that woman that he, was, that he was said he has, has yet to see. Are you that person that is, has surrendered her complete life to him? Are you living a life that is fully integrated into Christ and come, are you completely surrendered and committed to Him? The book of Colossians is going to teach us why we should give our entire lives to Christ and what our lives should look like when we do. I thought that was interesting. He's going to say, He's going to tell us why to give our lives to Christ and He's going to say, This is what it's supposed to look like. If you then be risen with Christ, you're going to do what? Seek those things which are above. You're going to do what? Set your affection on things above. You're going to be what? Dead to sin and alive unto God. <clears throat> Is the life-changing gospel changing your life? Are you longing for, do you have a longing for more and more of Jesus Christ? 
Or did you get to a point in your life where you said, I got it, I'm okay right here. I'm going to sit in this plateau for the rest of my life. Are we continuing to grow? And I hope that you will have that desire within you and your desire to until you meet Christ face to face. Lord, I want more of you. I want more of you. Complete in Christ. Here we have it again. Referring to a lifestyle in Christ 24 hours a day, seven days a week in every area of our lives. That's what Christ wants and that's what we need to give him. A little over a week ago, there was a couple at our house who was planning to go on the mission field, the foreign, foreign land. And in the conversation, it was mentioned, uh, when you go on the mission field and you're most times serving with a, a small group, small team, and most times, if, for our experience, you're living close, in close quarters with each other, it's like living in a glass house, is what, I, what we were telling them. And we kind of tried to explain why, because everyone knows almost everything you're doing. So they know when you leave the house and go for groceries and when you come back. They know when you leave the house to go outside and talk to your neighbor and when you come back. They're with you at church on Sunday morning. They're with you at the meetings. You're kind of living in the glass house. They know everything about you. And then I was thinking about, about being complete in Christ, and the question came up, is that any different than the way that we're, the Christian is living here in Lebanon County today? Yeah, you can hide some things from some people some of the time, but we can hide nothing from the Lord. He knows already what you're going to say and what you're going to think tomorrow. He knows who you're going to meet. He knows where you're going to go and who you're going to see. But those who are complete in Christ have nothing to hide and nothing to fear. We need to be open and genuine with Christ, fully committed and giving our all to Him. And I trust that is where excuse me, we find ourselves this morning. So, in your quiet time, as time allows, I challenge you to take a few minutes, read the 95 verses here in Colossians, take careful notice to uh, instruction given for, for everyday living, how we're supposed to live each and every day. And then, as you kneel in your quiet time for the Lord, ask Him to search your heart and make sure there's nothing within that's hindering your relationship with Him. It tells us why we're put to be Christians, tells us how, tells us what we will be like when we do give our lives completely to Christ. The book of Colossians gives us the true identity of Jesus. So far from being just another religious leader, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Chapter 1, verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. This is who Jesus is. Secondly, in Jesus dwells a fullness of deity in bodily form. Chapter 2, verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 22. He, it is he who changes lives and declares sinners holy and blameless in the eyes of God. Chapter 1, 22. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. The present age that we're in will not end within some sort of environmental disaster, but it will end with the return of Jesus Christ in all glory. Colossians 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, what's going to happen? Then shall ye also appear with him 
in glory. So what we have is Paul presenting the truth about Jesus Christ. In essence, he is saying Christ is everything. There is no need for another mediator. In Christ, we have everything that is necessary for salvation. There's no need to turn elsewhere. In Christ, we are completely sufficient. In Christ, we are completely sufficient. So the message that we could see here in Colossians, another one is, there are many paths that will lead away from God. And I think we're all well aware of that. There's many paths that will lead away from God. But there's only one way to become reconciled to God, which is why we say we have everything that we need in Jesus Christ. Are we complete in Him? Fully integrated in Jesus Christ. <coughs> we should get into a few verses here before our time expires, but uh, let's look at Colossians 1. We'll look at the first point, opening greetings. In verses 1 through 8, we see Paul's greeting the people. And in verses 9 through 12, we see his prayer. Uh, Colossians 1.1, 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Paul, an apostle. It, uh, there are 13 books in the New Testament that begin with the, with the name Paul. In Bible times, it was customary to uh, begin the letter with the name of the writer. And then he says, Paul, an apostle. Apostle is one who is sent. So what happens here? Paul was sent by God to be his spokesman. And what we see is Paul given his authority for writing this letter. And he gives that right here at the beginning. He was commissioned as a messenger with authorization to represent the Lord God. An apostle by Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ. Look at this, by the will of God. So what we're going to see here, what Paul was doing, was by God's will. He was following God's will. His profession and his work was exactly what God wanted him to do. And we talked a little bit about commitment, and here we see it in Paul. God's will for his life is the only thing that mattered. And as we go through life, yes, we have many responsibilities we need to take care of, but is God's will for your life important to you? Is it the only thing that matters? He goes on and he says, and Timothy, our brother. Timothy was a, a new convert. Young in the faith, yet Paul considered Timothy as a brother, a fellow Christians. They were equals in their relationship with a Christ. Just a side note, if you would turn just a few pages to the book of Philemon, and you don't have to, you can read that sometime, but verse 2, you're going to see that this group met at Philemon's house. It was during this time that the Christians uh, relied on the hospitality of their wealthier members for, in order to have places for public worship. And if you remember our study through Philemon, he was a, a well-known, a, a known to be a well-to-do person. He owned the slaves, and he was a Christian from Colossae, and they met at his church as well. Verse 2, Paul and Apostle, verse 1, Paul and Apostle Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, that is who, okay, whenever we see his authority he, he established, then he says, this is who he's writing to. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. He addresses the church 
as saints and faithful brethren. So when, when the word saint is applied in the New Testament to the New Testament believer, it signifies a, a dual calling to salvation and sanctification. A quote from Alexander McLean, he said, he was a famous Scottish preacher who said, saints are not eminent or important, not an eminent sort of Christian, but all Christians are saints. He who is not a saint is not a Christian. End quote. So the term saint is a synonym for Christian believers. And some people think saint is some lofty, extra-holy person who displays a, a great deal of, of devotion. But there is a positional sanctification. And the New Testament indicates that every true believer is a saint because of his or her position in Christ. And due to our position in Christ, we are to be responsible saints, to be holy in our daily walk of life. Sometimes we, we, we cringe at, at the word saint. But we, as our position in Christ, we are saints. And while I, I would not promote the, the idea of us ordering a bunch of hood sweaters with the words, I am a saint, I want to walk around, I will, tell, I will remind every believer that because of our position in Christ, we are responsible to live holy lives. This morning, if you're a child of God, you are a saint because of where you are at with Christ. And that there carries a responsibility to live holy lives for Christ. Leonard, if I can quote your, uh, he had a quote this morning. I wrote it down. I think I got it right. As Christians, we have a higher calling than the pursuit of happiness. And that is the pursuit of holiness. I don't think he said who, where it came from. But we have a higher calling. And I think sometimes we... Uh, Okay, I'll just throw this book at, my, at myself. We, we pursue happiness. But no, no, no. We got a higher calling in that. That is the pursuit of holiness. We are saints in Christ. We are responsible to live holy lives. So back to the phrase, a life that's fully integrated into Christ. We, we understand that holy living is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's committed and complete in Christ. So we're talking about whether we are at home, at church, while driving, hunting, Fishing, sewing, work, school. Our lives are completely controlled by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And we are saints in the eyes of the Lord. You can't read this and say, to the saints and faithful brethren which are in Christ at Colossae, and say, well, that's for the people back there, because you could change that Colossae to Myerstown. As believers in Christ, we are called to live holy lives. He was writing to the saints back there and to the saints here this morning, we are to live a holy life for Christ. This is an important step at becoming complete in Christ. Let's not cringe at the word saints. It's found 61 times in the New Testament. But let's live out our responsibility and live a holy life for Christ. So God, Paul, was sent out by God. We understand that. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, sent out by God. Today, you and I, as children of God, we're sanctified saints. We are what? We're set apart. Correct, we are at the time of our, our conversion. Why? We're to live holy lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. As saints with lives set apart to follow Christ, we are to be faithful and to grow in faithfulness. 
The highest level of spiritual maturity is that of faithfulness. The highest level of being spiritually mature is that of faithfulness. Being faithful or obedient to Christ is a thing that pleases Christ above all else. So back to the question I asked earlier, where will you be three years from now? Are you going to be faithful? And I trust you will be. But that, that, where we were going to be three years from now depends on the decision that we are making today. What decisions are you making today? What does it mean to be integrated in Christ? What does it mean to be complete in Christ? It means that we're not going to search for anything outside of Christ, but our lives will be governed by Christ. And the decisions that we make are going to please Him. I repeat, a burden on my heart. I want to see you here in three years. No, I want to see you even growing more and more in your spiritual walk with the Lord. And just serving Him to the best of your ability. My notes continue, but we're going to stop right there. We'll pick up later on. I'll close with a question. Are, you, are we becoming complete in Christ? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you here this morning. Say thank you, God, for your word. And you inspired Paul to write. Thank you, Lord, for who we are in you. And I pray that our lives could be complete in you, God. And to be integrated, would be united and, and joined with you, God, with the Holy Spirit dwelling within that we could walk with faithfulness and grow in faithfulness. May our spiritual lives and spiritual maturity just continue to increase and abound as we set aside distractions of this world and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. May there be nothing between us, God, but may we grow in you and be complete in you. Thank you for your written word. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.